The Metropocalypse has arrived at Franconia Springfield Station on the Yellow and Blue Lines. I'm Martin DeCaro. And I'm Martine Powers. And on this week's episode, we're going to answer a historical question. Why are there only two tracks on Metro? But first, we're going to check out the first segment shutdowns of the year-long Safe Track program. It's 6.37 a.m. on a Monday morning. We're on a Yellow Line train and we're heading to L'Enfant Plaza. The DC Metro uh, historically has been a great strength of this region. Customers should expect extended delays and crowded conditions on trains and platforms. So you do need to make other plans and you need to, need to have a game plan and you need to come up with it now. Yeah, 6.43, we're finally off and running to L'Enfant Plaza. We waited for a good five, six minutes and uh, well, it's Monday morning, people look kind of grumpy about that, but train is pretty empty, platforms have been light. Yeah, other than the wait at the station, it seems like things are going pretty smoothly. I mean, people, there's still plenty of space on the train. People don't seem too concerned about Blue Line riders, you know, clogging up their usual commute, but we'll see if that changes <laughs> once we get a little bit closer. 7.01 a.m., we've been on this train 23 minutes. We finally made it to Reagan Airport. That's not bad, that's not bad. I might be deaf by the time we get to Lafont Plaza with these overhead announcements as loud as they are. But at least we can hear them. I mean, that's an improvement from a lot of other trains where you can't understand anything that they're saying. So. You can also do a story on the broken announcements, how you can't understand what they're saying. Not to be too optimistic, but maybe this will be a theme for the coming year that these shutdowns aren't going to be quite as dramatically awful as some people anticipate. You just jinxed us, number one. <laughs> Secondly, we'll see uh, the overall impact, of course, will be measured by more than what we're just seeing on, on the trains and the platforms. But so far this morning, we've been traveling 33 minutes. It's about 7.15 a.m. We're about to get to L'Enfant Plaza. Okay, Martine, 7.43. I guess we, we climbed on that yellow line train down at Franconia Springfield an hour ago or so. 7.43, we're at L'Enfant Plaza boarding Silver Line over to Eastern Market. And it is not a sardine can, we can report. This is actually like pretty comfortable, I have to say. My name's Ebony Chase. Were you expecting this to be as quiet and orderly as it's been? Um, no, but that's just on this train. The other trains didn't look as quiet and orderly. Really, what was your experience? Um, very busy and overcrowded. Did, did you think it was gonna be that crowded this morning? Or? Absolutely not. I, I thought it would be normal. Had you been paying attention to the announcements and stuff yes, about this? Yes, I have. I get a card almost every time I get off the train, you know, warning me about delays, but I didn't think it'd be that bad. Do you know where the train's stopping? Nope, I'm going to find out, and I'll be Ubering from there. <laughs> I like your spirit of adventure. I, yeah. I, I wish more people had that approach to the commute. Just see where it takes me, and I'll yeah. just... I mean, we were warned. It, it didn't just say, hey, you guys, you can't travel here. I knew, I just didn't know how far. So now I know, thank you. Where's your destination? I'm going all the way to Largo. Ebony Chase, you don't mind if we just follow you out of here and see what you do with this bus bridge or whether you try Uber? Sure. We don't know what to expect when we go upstairs. Me either. <laughs> Where are the shuttles? Upstairs to the left. Upst and how far is that shuttle going? It's going to, which, which way you going? Minnesota Larger. Avenue? Yes. It's a shuttle bus that's taking you to Benner Road. Thank you. Bus bridges. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> Have you ever ridden a bus bridge before no. when there's been a snafu? No. Today will be a first. 
It's almost 8 a.m. We're about to board a shuttle to get over to Benning Road here. I think this is going to be the most exciting part of our commute. I'm pretty psyched to, to check out what the shuttle's like, how efficient it is. Um, At the same surprise, there aren't more people out here waiting on lines. There is a lot of Metro staff, to be honest. They are like wearing these kind of adorable yellow aprons um, <laughs> that say Metro on them, and so I think that's helping people figure out where they need to go. Ebony, it's 8.29 a.m. We were on that shuttle for about a half hour. What's your verdict? Um, being as though we really didn't go that far, I, I guess there's nothing you can do. There's traffic, there's people traveling. Um, it is what it is, as they say. Are you going to do it tomorrow? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I'm not. All right, so we're off the bus. We're back at Eastern Market. We're wrapping up rush hour. And, and by the way, welcome back, Martine Powers. Thank you. Good it's to nice you to nice to be back, riding the train with you, riding the bus with you. It's been a quite an adventure of a morning. Yes, we've been uh, out on the system for two and a half hours, a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I have to say... I was expecting things to be a little rougher than they actually were, and it went smoothly. Yeah, there wasn't, I mean, there were a few crowded trains. The bus coming west into town, the, the bus bridge was pretty crowded. Um, but slow. Yeah, and slow. Crowded and slow, but, you know, I think people expected that. Nobody seemed too up in arms about it. So next up, we're going to tackle a question that I think is on the minds of a lot of folks who ride Metro, which is, why are there only two tracks? You know, you're stuck on single tracking, it's completely irritating, and I think a lot of folks are wondering, why don't we have a redundant system where you can do track work at the same time as having people ride the train? Some say it was a historic blunder of gigantic proportions, but we're here to tell you it was DCS Daily. DCS Daily. DCS Daily. It's news, culture, and curiosities. From the district, Tacoma Park, Alexandria, Friendship Heights, Hyattsville, Falls Church, Northeast Washington, DC, and your inbox every weekday afternoon. DCS, DCS Daily. Daily. Sign up at dcs.com slash newsletter. dcs.com slash newsletter. We continue on Metropocalypse, a podcast about how Metro got to this sorry state. And today, to answer part of that question, we're going to look back in history. Now remember, Metro opened 40 years ago in 1976, but the system was designed during the 1960s. And during that era, a couple of really critical decisions were made which continue to impact the system today. Some have even called them original sins or fatal flaws. So today we're going to drill down on how Metro is governed and why it was built with only two tracks. We're joined by the go-to guy on Metro history, Professor Zachary Schrag from George Mason University. He's the author of The Great Society Subway, A History of the Washington Metro. Professor Schrag, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. And we're joined by Metropocalypse listener Richard Wannerman, who emailed us at metro at wamu.org. Richard, what's your question? What is in the WMATA Compact? It's something we hear a lot about, but we don't know a lot of what's in it. And specifically, why does it not include a guaranteed funding mechanism? The second question, also dating back that far, is we sometimes hear these nebulous ideas that there were decisions about how to build the metro system that the planners ultimately decided to not do, whether it be third tracks, pocket tracks. So why did they not build them, apart from maybe money or time? 
All right, some context about the WMATA Compact, which dates to 1967. There are currently four parties in the compact now. The federal government joined in 2010. So you have the feds, Maryland, Virginia, and the district. And the arrangement is that only three of those, D.C., Virginia, Maryland, pay into Metro's day-to-day expenses. It's $1.8 billion annual operating budget. There is no dedicated funding stream like a regional sales tax. Every year, Metro goes hat in hand to its jurisdictions asking for money. So, Professor Schrag, how did we end up with this arrangement? I think the most important thing to understand about the WMATA Compact is that it was something of a rush job. The local jurisdictions, uh, Maryland and Virginia, especially the suburban jurisdictions, uh, got worried that a federal agency was going to build the system without their input. So they lobbied very hard to have the actual construction powers transferred to a local authority and proposed some kind of interstate body based on other interstate bodies like the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey to build this. Getting any kind of interstate agreement would require the Maryland and Virginia legislatures and Congress to all agree on the exact wording. And because the local jurisdictions wanted to get this done quickly before the federal agency started construction, they needed to come up with basically the lowest common denominator, a very simple structure that everyone could agree on and that would not have anything too controversial. And there's nothing more controversial than money. So they pushed through a compact uh, without a lot of details about money and let that problem sit for future generations. Uh, That said, uh, the initial funding agreement, uh, when it went through a couple years later, uh, a formula to divide the costs among the three jurisdictions was not terribly controversial either. Um, And basically, the jurisdictions preferred to agree on how much each would contribute and then decide for themselves how to raise that money. So the Virginians could figure out their funding mechanism to pay their bills, the Marylanders could do that, the district could do that, and they did not think it was necessary to impose a uniform revenue source on each jurisdiction. So Richard's other question was whether there were historical mistakes or flawed assumptions that went into the design of the system. Uh, We've been getting a lot of questions about the two-track design of Metro, and Uh, A lot of people compare Metro to New York or or Chicago. I think it's important to understand that no one builds extra tracks simply for redundancy. Uh, That would be like putting six or eight wheels on your car in case you get a flat. It's simply too expensive to build a track for just that reason. And where you do see four track lines, like on Broadway in New York, it's because you have extremely dense concentrations of people so that you might want to have one line that stops every six or seven blocks, as the Broadway local does, and another one to serve as an express line. And yes, uh, a nice add-on effect of that is that you can have a little bit of redundancy if you need to do track work, but um, it would be unreasonably expensive to do that simply for maintenance. I would say also that the alternative um, that Metro did develop was to have some redundancy downtown. So if you are standing in Farragut Square and you want to get to Capitol Hill, you can take the red line or you can take the orange-silver-blue line uh, either to Union Station or to Capitol South. So you do, in fact, have four tracks running through downtown Washington, uh, but they're divided between two routes. All right, Richard, uh, I hope those questions were answered to your satisfaction. Sort of. There was, well, just, I, would, I would just ask one one little follow-up to that last question is um, if, if, if it's all right. 
Yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, you can okay. actually host the podcast if you'd like, and I'll go. I'll do it. <laughs> go ahead. Um, a, a couple stories have come out saying that there were that they were plans early on that were changed uh, in the process. I guess in the planning stages or early construction phases of Metro, and I guess there have been. Uh, it, it's been implied that it may have helped Metro in the future, and that we're now paying for it, whether because they wanted to cut cost or cut time. Was that actually the case? And if so, what was taken out of the system that was considered? Well, the original system that made it through Congress in 1965, I mean, Metro goes back uh, in planning stages to the 1950s. I, I start my book in 1955. But in the first bill that succeeded in Congress was in 1965. And that actually proposed a single trunk line downtown with a bunch of branches coming off of it. And if they had built that system, the nightmare we would be facing now is incalculably worse uh, than uh, what we are actually facing because they're, all of these lines would be feeding into a single trunk. Uh, in 1967, that trunk was split, again, between what's now the red line and the blue, orange, silver. And then later on, a third trunk line, what we now know as the yellow-green line, uh, was added. So the big modifications were actually to add capacity, not to reduce it. And that did drive up costs, of course, uh, but it also gave us uh, some added capacity that we are relying on now. Uh, so th I don't, I've been trying to find more information about pocket tracks. There may have been a few cases where, in retrospect, it would have been nice to build a little more. But the uh, big story, I think, is given the scarce resources, uh, Metro's planners decided to build more routes, um, and we are lucky to have those and it would be a much worse system if we did not have more uh three major trunk lines going through downtown all right richard thank you for your questions do you have a history question or any other kind of question about safe track and metro shoot us an email at metro at wamu.org or join the metropocalypse facebook group zachary schrag is a professor of history at george mason university he'll be back with us next week This has been Metropocalypse. Next week, we travel back in time to 1986, the year many people consider to be the turning point for Metro. We'll hear about a report that predicted the mess that we're in right now. And we'll explore a historical turning point when Metro had to decide between maintaining the system as it was versus barreling forward with the Green Line. If you like what you've been hearing, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. It'll help other Metro writers find us. And please join the Metropocalypse Facebook group. Metropocalypse is produced and edited by Brendan Sweeney, Joe Warminski, Chris Chester, and John Ogolnik. Our engineer is Timmy Olmsted. Andy McDaniel is WAMU's Director of Content. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. All the music from today's episode came from WAMU's Capital Soundtrack, a project to showcase local musicians. You heard tracks by Y Toll, The Rail Runners, and Near Northeast. Be sure to check out the Capital Soundtrack Project at bandwidth.wamu.org. Until next time, I'm Martin DeCaro. And I'm Martine Powers with Politico. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Oh, nice. Hey, so we had so cute there. <laughs>